0: This is Peter.
1: And this is Tom.
0: And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Tom, Hello. as you said, you know, before I click record, this may not potentially be your thing. But then again... Well... I- <laughs> It's not my well, thing it's,
1: either. Uh, it's, <laughs> nah, it's just something I feel like you've been asking to do for a while. Like, oh, let's do sure. this one. Let's do this one. So I was like – and I've never said no. It's just we always came up with a different one like the, the day of or a couple <laughs> – couple Hours. <little> bit before, <laughs> a couple hours beforehand. But, um, yeah, it's one that we've definitely, I guess, talked about or you were inspired to do from watching History Channel a little bit. So it works.
0: Yeah. It works. So what are, what are we talking about?
1: We're going to be looking at the um, – the history or the uh the rise of the um the the American automobile industry, right? American cars. Yep. American yep. muscle. Right. There you go. Yeah. Hey, man, I don't know if like we're
0: that. gonna get Car- to American muscle. But we are gonna talk about you <laughs> right, like the like the history of American auto industry, because it's extremely important. If you for most of the twentieth century, actually, if you look back at history, the United States economy and how well it was doing was judged solely on how well the auto industry was doing. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Well, when we're you- a country that's relying on automobiles. So it's Absolutely. it's the dominant it mode of transportation, yeah. Yeah. and um, for the early years, we were like the big manufacturing um, country when it comes to cars. Um, well into the eighties, I guess, right? And yeah, was, eighty. Were yeah, easily 80. the the yeah, yeah the largest producer of automobiles. Yeah,
0: and it was it ended in the eighties because of Japanese cars. Um, Japan took us over, but um, and as you mentioned, this had a lot to do with the geography aspect because the United States. First of all, we have an overabundance of natural resources. We also have a huge population and we happen to be spread out like across a vast area in the United States. So therefore, a car in the car industry, it almost seemed like we were made for it, you know, for each other. And that's kind of where this comes out of. There's a lot of interesting characters here, but I think we're mostly going to concentrate on the, the big three. The big three, right? Which
1: would be General Motors, Chrysler, and Ford, right? That's what we're talking yep. about. Those are the ones. Just so we yep. both are on the same, uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, the same we wheelhouse
1: are. here we're with the same big three. Yeah, so it's yeah. General Motors, Chrysler, and Ford, and they really come to be. And they're around beforehand, but they really um, dominate because of the Great Depression. And I'm sure we'll get into
0: that. Yep. So let's kind of just briefly start off with cars, period. Like how that came to be. A little brief history of cars, because there is a common misconception. Well, I'm sure. That... You,
1: I'm sure you've heard about this. Yeah. So when one car meets another car. <laughs> and they fall in love,
0: right? I know.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's That's yeah. a dad joke. But that's how you said that. That's cool. Well, you are Okay. Dad, moving so. on. Um, moving on.
0: Okay. You know, I, I'm. I've actually. I'm full of dad jokes. That's kind of what I do. But anyway, outside well, the big actually, three. I, oh, yeah, I was going to right? say, Yeah, I was going to. So actually, believe it or not, 1769 was the first ever steam powered automobile that was like capable of of human transportation. Um, it was built by Nicolas Cugnot, which was a, a French inventor. He had a background in military engineering. And he actually designed the vehicle in 1761, 17, by the way, 65, um, to transport cannons for the French army. And this was so ahead of its time. It was like this th- three wheel steam powered thing. You know, seventeen. This, we're talking like George Washington times, and people are like, "Yeah, this guy's nuts." You know, and then in 1808, another French inventor, uh, Rivaz was his last name, designed the first car that was powered by an internal combustion engine. Um, it was also fueled by hydrogen and had some form of an electric ignition, which is kind of cool. Then 1870, it's almost like nothing really happens for like seventy years almost. Yeah. In 1870, a German inventor. Um, Siegfried Marcus built the first gasoline powered combustion engine. He placed it on the push cart, and that kind of like resulted in like the first sophisticated um, combustion engine car. Without a steering clutch, brake, and essentially essentially what like would it go on to influence cars going forward? And then um, sticking with the Germans, you have around the same time Nicholas Otto patented the four stroke engine, internal combustion engine. Um, Rudolf Diesel, which kind of that you guys hear that around sometimes, there you go, a right, similar, right? Beginning of diesel engine is named after the guy that did it, Rudolf Diesel, in 18, uh, 1897. It's kind of crazy, but the first real like car that like really gave a lot of people a run for their money was Carl Benz um, when he built his first gasoline powered automobile that was sold to the public was in eighteen eighty five. But then. He really hits it big with the 19, um, Carl Benz does it with the 1901 Mercedes. It's designed by Wilhelm Maybach for the Dimer uh, Motor Company. And it's actually credited in 1901 as the first modern motor car. Um, it had 35 horsepower. Uh, the engine weighed about, it's not like crazy, right? 14 pounds per horsepower.
1: Uh, imagine top- that?
0: Yeah, right. But a top speed of uh, 53 miles per hour. Anyway, um, by 1907, this well, that's, I, I thought
1: that's, it was that's interesting. fast for the
0: time, though. Right? I thought so, too. When I saw it, I'm like, 53 miles per hour? What? No. Um, 1909, People, though, yeah, this yeah, is kind that's of... going crazy. Yeah, I know. Imagine. Um, 1909, though, which is interesting. He actually had... Daimler had... Um, so Benz and Daimler had the biggest integrated automobile factory in all of Europe, and it employed some 1,700 workers to produce fewer than uh, 1,000 cars per year. And Henry Ford just like laughs at that. In a, you know, in another decade, he's like, "Wait, how long? How many? Do you, you only make a thousand per year? And we have all these workers." Um, so things kind of change. In the United States, you have the Oldsmobile company, which kind of picks up. Do you, you find anything on Oldsmobile?
1: Oh old, yeah, the Old Motor Vehicle Company, right? Yeah. So that was in 1886. Um, Ransom E. Olds, right? He received a patent right. actually for the first car that ran on just gasoline. Yep. And then he um, he sold the um, Olds Motor Vehicle Company. He moved to Detroit to open the Olds Motor Works, and he built the famous um, Curve dash Oldsmobile. And that's like the yep. beginning of what we know,
0: like a modern car. Yeah, that? he began hey, producing
1: car. He basically began producing cars um, after that. It's crazy. The next Fourteen years. Stuff like they that, said yeah.
0: that, you know, he, this was actually Oldsmobile was the the company that started the idea of producing or rather mass producing vehicles using some form of assembly line. They said, you know, based on what I read, it was Oldsmobile, Ransom E. Olds um, was the owner that started making cars before Henry Ford did. And this is like 1901 to 1906. Um, which is they say it was basically like a motorized buggy, you know, like horse buggy. Everywhere. Well, that's what it was. That's
1: some of the like the other companies were calling it yeah, like horseless, horseless carriage, the yeah. things, of, things of that nature, like the just the the whatever it was called. Yeah, the, the yeah. buggy company, right? Horseless yep. buggy company, things like that.
0: Well, that was the thing though because if you look at 1901 if you guys type in 1901 Mercedes into Google you realize that it actually looks like a car it looks cool and you know this was being done in Europe in 1901 versus whatever olds was putting out there again this is pre Ford um, literally looked like a like a like a carriage like a horse buggy so there is a problem here because the United States automakers are definitely not keeping up with the Joneses when it comes to you know making cars look like they're actual cars. Uh, but that kind of changes and, and that ultimately changes. Um, with, I mean, you want to go to Henry Ford?
1: He's uh, he's a big player in, in all of this. Yeah, good. What do you got about Ford?
0: Well, one thing about Ford self. is well, we um, know about
1: everyone knows about the assembly line and stuff like that. I mean, I know mean, we always say this, but we can definitely do a podcast just on Ford himself, like the, the man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's
0: not the nicest guy. No, 100%. No. Um, so, what I was looking forward, what really started popping up, popping up rather, was these bicycle mechanics, Jay Frank and Charles what? Durea, 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 I guess, Durea, Durea, let's go Durea. Um, Springfield, Massachusetts, and apparently they designed the first successful American gasoline automobile, um, these two Durea brothers, in 1893, and they also won the first ever American car race in 1895, and apparently went on to... You know, make like the first sale of American-made gasoline car in the next year. So, this was an awesome statistic. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but by 1899, there was actually 30 American manufacturers. um, There's a whole
1: bunch of car. There's a whole bunch of these companies out there. Small. They weren't these big companies, but yeah, they were all over the place. Just
0: making cars. Yeah.
1: Yeah, just making cars because it was it was the new thing. It was like one of these the new the new invention, and even Ford and Ford. came out at first he um, wasn't really super successful but in 1903 he found Ford Motor Company and a month later he produces his first car and then five years is when the comp- five years later is when the company launches the Model T which yeah. everyones heard of the Model T obviously because it's really the first affordable car and it kind of transforms the way Americans the American way of life basically. And um, so they produce it all the way up until 1927 was the last year in production. And by that point, they sell over 15 million Model Ts, which is a huge number when you think about it. They have 15 million Model Ts out on the road. And there's a lot of them still out there today. I know know, they're refurbished and stuff like that. But Model Ts, they can still run.
0: By the way, it was like an ultimate off-road vehicle, which makes it so funny because he designed it for a farmer. Like he had farmers in mind when he made this. And the, the wheels are wooden. They're super thin. They, I mean, it goes. If you see videos on YouTube of this thing, this thing goes through mud like nothing. I mean, it's awesome in a sense. And I idea of having
1: all these interchangeable parts, it just makes it yeah. easy when something goes wrong to get it fixed.
0: Well, they said you could get it in every color as long as it was black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I it came yeah. in black.
1: It's all, all um, came, it was like, that's
0: it. Yeah. What's well, really interesting if you look at a background here. So he actually came up with an idea of a, a motorized, what do you call the quadra uh, his first gasoline powered horseless carriage again, this was one of those horseless carriage times in 1896. And he was working as an engineer for none other than Edison. Um, so Ford, um, Henry Ford was working for Edison Illuminating Company, and that's when he came up and kind of tinkered on the side. He came up with this quadricycle. Then, as you mentioned, 1903 releases the first ever Model A, and then things really change. Um, once he you know kind of puts it all in, he wants to produce this affordable, efficient automobile. But I mean, this guy was first of all, his Model, model T Ford revolutionized America, not just the car industry. Yeah, it, it was everything. American
1: life. American. Now you could you could afford a car. Every day, yes. people could afford a car, and by doing that, it just opens up the way for the travel, driving around the country. It. Everything Road. else, right now, roads gasoline. You have to have, gas stations, yep. we have to have service stations, you have to have traffic lights, like all these things start to come into play because the Model T is, there's 15 million of them now on the road, right? Yep. you also talk about the 1920s, right? America's coming out of World War One. they have all this money, they have the money, they're feeling great, so they're able to do this sort of stuff. And it's just going to create this car culture that is still around today, let's face it, you know? Yeah.
0: By the way, did you see that, like this statistic that at the height of its production, they were making so many of them because of these interchangeable parts and assembly line that Ford Motor Company was able was able to turn out one Model T every twenty four seconds. Like I did see
1: something like that, crazy. something like that.
0: Crazy, but yeah, obviously like it wasn't really like in
1: a super advanced car, but it was like you said, it was this altering machine, basically, you yeah. know. And it yeah. just kind of like changed everything.
0: Well, but Henry Ford, unfortunately. Um, you Know does good competition here, like this doesn't. Um, well, it's capital, anyway, he's
1: gonna have his competition, yeah.
0: But just real quick, did you know that the first is a sort of four cylinder 20, it was 24 horsepower, the Model T, right? It was first offered in 1908 and sold for $825 initially, right? They got their production so you know. I guess it grew so much, the production itself, Whoa, yeah. that by the time that it was withdrawn in 1927, its price was reduced to $290 um, per car. So it went from 825 to 290 It truly was a very affordable car. Um, you know, it wasn't, I mean, an average, they said like an average 1912 roughly, right? Um, annual wage in the United States was like 600 bucks. And this, he was selling this for two ninety. Like I'm thinking, how much cars are today, and an average American wage? I mean, there's no way you could buy a car that cheap today. Just no,
1: no. Well, yeah, not a new car, not even close. Yeah, actually, you couldn't even buy like a used car if it it wouldn't run. No, parts would be worth more than that.
0: So what happens here is Ford's mass production techniques. Obviously, people are looking at this and they're like, oh, okay, we could do this. And other automobile manufacturers start to really kind of. Chase him in a sense, um, and also what you have here is these companies are introducing the same idea of making cars quicker, and they're now he's got competition. So when I looked at the statistic too, there was they said that active automobile manufacturers dropped from two hundred fifty three of them in nineteen oh eight to only forty four by nineteen twenty nine. So nineteen oh eight, and that's like twenty years. Went from two hundred fifty three manufacturers to just forty four. However, by 1929, so in the eve of the Great Depression, 80% of the industry's output accounted, was accounted for by Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler. The only independents that were really around by the Great Depression, besides Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler, which were making 80% of all the cars, was Nash, Hudson, which is made popular again with the Cars cartoon, Studebaker, Packard. Basically, breaker, yeah. but they were all wiped out by the Great Depression. I mean, st- uh, the, they say Packard kind of lasted a little bit to World War II, but more or less, like you said early in the podcast, that Great Depression left us with three major companies.
1: Yeah. So General Motors, really survived. Yeah, General Motors. So, was well, it was founded what 1908, right? Mm-hmm. Flint, Michigan, by William Durant, and it's basically has they have instant success of the company because they were allowed. They basically acquired a lot of those smaller. Companies, um, they acquire yep. um, Cadillac, Buick, and then um, under some new leadership, the company becomes the largest car manufacturer in the world for a while. Um, yep. Basically, becomes really, really effective. And uh, GM was known for its innovation, uh, catering to different social classes. They had a bunch of different, um, varying price structures, so they kind of like had the same car but different amenities and stuff built in. And uh, it became just well liked, and that's one reason why they were to make all these cars. And it just again just blew up. These people, these cars were affordable for different classes. So as you you were able to kind of, as your socioeconomic status changed, you could afford a different car. And that's really what appealed when it comes to General Motors.
0: That's what it was. And ultimately, the ultimate goal was to to get to having like a Buick was a higher level. Pontiac was the cheaper level. Um, Chevy was like the kind of middle of the road, but like, as you were rising in social class, the idea was that there was a car for you by general motors and the car that you aspired to get was the Cadillac. The Cadillac was the luxury brand of general motors. And, very similarly, Ford kind of adapts that as well because Ford's like, dang it, we only offer Ford. So then they kind of eventually go into having a Mercury and then a Lincoln. Um, Mercs are sure not like. Had like
1: yeah, Cadillac like had fancy things like um, power steering.
0: Yeah, like, like that like was one of the first ones on yeah. every vehicle.
1: That was like a big deal. <laughs> now, have you ever drive a car that didn't have power steering? Like, it's just, it's. I did it's back different. in the day. Actually,
0: I'm pretty yeah. sure my first car did not have power steering. Actually, it was such a basic version. Of like Chevy Colt, and it had no power steering. It was a five speed manual transmission, and it didn't have the RPM, so you had to listen to the engines when you had to switch the gears. And it only came with one mirror on the driver's side. That's it, stock. Like I had a car that literally was like the Nothing. bare necessities. Yeah, but um, got you
1: from point A to point B. That's the whole point. Like, that's how, right. and, at the, and at the time, though, it was all you wanted, all you needed when you get that Crazy. first car.
0: Uh, one of the most famous, popular, um, or the, rather, the most famous and/or popular brands of GM is Chevrolet, and Chevrolet actually is named after a popular road racer, um, Louis Chevrolet. Uh, he was a he was a road racer at the time, and Durant actually sought him out. You know this popular driver because like, he was hoping that a reputation would give a car brand a boost. So he kind of brings you know Chevrolet in and starts off this just like offshoot brand based on this uh, race car driver. Uh, Chevrolet um, Motor Company. Yep. So um, basically, this is kind of interesting to see that, that by 1919, it was Chevrolet, the brand Chevrolet, under the umbrella of GM, that was the leading competitor to Ford Motor Company. What they did Um, was
1: Chevrolet bought up all the GM stock to basically gain control of the company. So that's basically what they were able to do. Uh,
0: Durant also, besides Chevrolet, if you're looking at it, he also started shifting into... Like his cars became more sleek looking. That was his thing, right? It was like this this shift from consumer sh- like consumer shift towards luxury, high performance vehicles versus Henry Ford was still stuck in like this is a workhorse. Like my cars, the practicality design, what actually exactly. what it actually does. Yeah, and, and it, it was more my what, what it looks like. Yep, and GM is the one that's like the company that's like uh no because the car and it kind of it makes sense because to to them a car will eventually. Like people will not buy new cars. You want people to buy cars. I mean, that's the whole premise of it, right? So, as car sales stall, there's this new idea of like, well, what what do you do, right? I mean, because eventually, new there's just there's no replacement demand if the car works. Why replace it, right? So GM is the one that thinks of what is known as like plan, you know, obsolete, almost right. Um, making these cars obsolete, and not in the sense obsolete as in they're gonna break. But it is the GM advertising department that decides that there's some form of technological stagnation in cars. There's only so much you can do technologically in a car versus like, okay, it's going to take you from point A to point B. So what we need to do is we need to innovate, you know, make it, uh, make the dr- more dramatic innovations, basically change the way they look. <laughs> you know what I mean, like find more gadgets, change the way they look continuously so that way people will want to replace their cars because something will look sleeker. Something will look newer. Something will look faster, even if it's not faster. And the kind of GM yeah. came up with that idea. Like today, you know, you have a new model car that comes out. You know, for Henry Ford made the same car, literally the same car in the only color for like 20-something years.
1: Yeah, people want to change. They want, they want variety. and yeah, um, So that's basically what yeah. Different colors, different – like you said, if you look at all those cars from this time period, like the, the designs are different.
0: He it's also, also G- plus
1: appeal to the eyes and stuff like that.
0: You know? And yep. 1930s is also when GM came up with the idea of like every few years, we're going to get, just change the product, like freshen it up. But in between they did like annual minor facelifts, which is again, something that happens today, but this all comes, this is all advertising executives in 1930s. They were like, dang it. If you people have a car, why do they want to buy another one? So let's make them want to buy another one. Um, it's almost like you want to make the consumer dissatisfied with what they have, so they trade it in, and presumably, right, get a more expensive new model. But, you know, again, which goes back to what you said before is that. So let's offer them a model for, hey, I'm kind of poor. Oh,
2: I'm middle class. Oh, I'm wealthy. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. um nuts
0: but Ford loses massive sale here it's you know the the lead in sales drops down a lot to Chevrolet um by 1936 so in the middle of the great depression uh GM General Motors claims 43% of all United States market and Ford only has 22% um it actually falls behind Chrysler which had 25% so I guess we could move into Chrysler a little bit but this is interesting in a sense that here is Ford, and there's this misconception, even among my students, like Henry Ford invented a car. No. No, okay, no, but, he did not. But all new cars. All, exactly. And then I think yeah. old cars in the 20s and 30s were Fords. Not really. Actually, Ford kind of fell out here out of favor. So um, what do you have about um, anything for else for GM before we hit up Chrysler? No, I
1: think that's good for GM. Like I said, I... Let's, get to, let's look at Chrysler a little bit. So obviously Walter Chrysler, right? He was once the head of GM, right? I think he yep. was in charge of the um, Buick division. So yep. he kind of knows about like the upper class or the higher class um, cars and all that good stuff. And um, basically he renamed uh, the Maxwell Commerce Company from bankruptcy and he renamed it the Chrysler Corporation in 1925. And um, again, it's in Detroit, right? And it became yep. known for its mid-price cars, right? They had... Um, Really impressive performance, all right. very well engineered, and um, the company acquired the Dodge Brothers Company three years later, which put Chrysler at the bottom of the big three. Um, and he basically has financed the construction of the Chrysler building in 1928, which was the um, world's tallest building by the time it was done, yeah. And um, yeah, he just becomes part of that big three that make up basically 75% of sales in uh, automobile sales in America, yeah, other than that time. And um, yeah, you have all these like the 19. 19- with the Dodge Dart GT, all types of different cars. If you think of it, like the ones that Chrysler has, it's, it's a yeah. lot. It's a Dodge,
0: and Chrysler's got aren't,
1: aren't they with Jeep now? Chrysler yeah, Dodge, they own Jeep, Jeep. they right? own Jeep. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, they own Jeep, and then uh, now it's Fiat owns all of them. I mean, because yeah, so, yeah, okay, yeah, Fiat
1: buys them all after uh, yeah. after 2008, right? I don't yeah, it's
0: kind of don't pan out for them. Um, but cool. what's interesting about Chrysler is Chrysler's actually Walter Chrysler's brought into the Maxwell Motor Company right in 19 early 1920s. To like help managing it, you know what I mean? Like all yeah. well, these guys, yeah. They, well.
1: they work together in one company and they branch off and create their That's own company was. for a while. I mean, it's all like a, it's all it's all the same people. Like,
0: keep it in the family. I like that. They all kept it in the family. Okay. Um there you go. So early 1920s, Maxwell Company brings in Walter. Walter Chrysler, instead of helping like pick up the Maxwell Motor Company from bankruptcy, actually reorganizes it and purchases it and turns it into yeah. the Chrysler Company. Um, and he organized that in 1925 and then his cars were some of the first one like, like his big thing was make it affordable but also he was looking for that technological advancement like how can i make my car uh, better gadgets anything how can i make it better than my competition and a lot of innovation actually um high compression Lion. engine carburetor air filter uh lubrication inside the engine oil filter so like you guys get your oil change and you have a new oil filter in the engine that first time that happened was in a Chrysler. Um, also, first practical mass-produced four-wheel drive hydraulic hydraulic brakes, right? Um, rubber engine mounts to reduce vibration were first shown. First showed up in a Chrysler. I, I never thought about that. Like, rubber engine mounts to reduce vibration. Like, you're right. They had to strap the engine back in the day to the actual metal frame. That couldn't be comfortable in any way, shape, or form. Like I thought I was kind No, of
1: no, yeah. Well, yeah, it was all these things in, like... Coming up with, again, it, it it's it was the engineering. They were known for being like well-built cars. Yep.
0: And then, you know, just again, like, on. Because, because every single car company has like the lesser company for the affordable, you know, the affordable cars. So he does the same thing. Chrysler actually creates the Plymouth brand. Um, and that is basically actually, the Plymouth yeah, brand was the low-priced end of the market. Like you know, that's your entry level. If you can't afford a Chrysler, you could buy a Plymouth. And then when he buys the Dodge company – Dodge, Dodge was kind of cool. I, I found that to be a very interesting story because the it's the Dodge Brothers.
1: I didn't look them up individually, but I did find out uh, – well, some of it. Like Brothers John and Horace, right? That's yep. what you're talking about. So they opened up a shop shop again in Detroit. And what they're doing is they're just producing parts for cars at first. That's it. Yep. And then um, ran some Olds from Oldsmobile to hire in the build um, the famous curved dash for the Oldsmobile. That's what they were yep. built to do. And after that, they had a contract with Henry Ford to help build engines and axles, transmissions, things like that. And they eventually find again they find their own company. I think in 1913, uh, the Dodge Brothers Motor Company. And then um, less than a decade later, after debuting several cars and assisting with the war effort, which all the, they all do, um, they kind of pass away. But they get, like I said, they get acquired by the other the other brands. But they come up with a lot of the cars. I think of like the Dodge Charger and stuff like that. Like yeah. iconic cars are all coming yeah. from this um, brand. And it's, it's the same thing, just it's more of known for, I guess, their style and, and performance. What's under the yeah. hood a lot of the time, too, without their brand engineering. Yeah, I mean, think of like Dodge Viper.
0: Yeah, it's still to this day, I mean, the idea of Dodge, even, it was part of Chrysler. And by the way, it fit into the Chrysler family when it was purchased by Chrysler. The Dodge brothers sold the company. The reason they kind of, Chrysler wanted them because the Dodge brand from these two brothers really fit their mold for like that mid price brand because they had plymouth plymouth was their low brand they had chrysler as their high brand so they needed a mid brand so dodge became the mid brand which is kind of interesting how like you start looking at it all these cars have like their own versions of like brands within brands in a sense you know which i thought was kind of cool
1: yeah they have one for everyone like everyone they're appealing to different parts of the american population in order to get a car you're going to be able to find something that you like you're going to be able to find something that fits your price point you're going to be able to find something that has the some of the characteristics that you want and then purchase it and that's one yeah. reason why they're still thriving at this point anyway up until the mid-60s
0: and Chrysler. it's funny because also chrysler continues buying companies i mean they bought um the amc american motor company which initially owned jeep at the time and eagle i don't know if you remember remember eagle
1: Definitely. yeah
0: yeah yeah so that was all part of american motor company that was purchased by chrysler probably like i want to say early 80s i mean they were until they themselves kind of things didn't pan out but let's go back in time a little bit world war ii and the auto industry so because i think it plays a big part in restructuring the auto industry because before world war ii there are more than three major automakers right like and we mentioned yeah. them before they do exist but after World War II, it really is just these three um, that are the main ones. So, so what really happens in World War II? I mean,
1: well, basically GM's president, right, William yeah. Kutsten, um he gets actually a call right from President Roosevelt um, that wants him to control the American limited production for the war. So he left his position as an executive to work for the government for a dollar salary. The guy was already like you know,
0: yeah,
2: he's
1: right about his standards. Yeah. And um, basically, American almost scrambled to make transition towards the total war effort. And that's why I always just tell my students, like, total war, when a country commits to total war, it's very different. They're not building these cars. These companies are not building cars and stuff. They're building tanks. They're building bombers. And um, the big three automakers, like, started building tanks. Chrysler built tanks. Um, The government owned a plant – they start building more tanks. Um, I think Chrysler themselves built more tanks than all of Nazi Germany did by the time the war was over. That's the amount of tanks they're turning out. Ford began building um, bomber plants. They began building bombers, right? just building aircrafts. And they wind well, up that was building was one... called the
0: Willow Run. I mean, the Willow Run yeah. was bomber plant. Yeah, They
1: built one B-24 bomber, liberated bomber, every hour.
0: How crazy is that?
1: That's crazy. That, that's the main thing. Like You talk about what was America's big contribution to World War II. It, was, it was just materials. Like It was just a, the the raw, ma- the, the raw materials they were able to just send to the war effort. Like, just all these bombers. Like, think about one bomber an hour. Yeah. You, 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 it didn't matter. Like, the you other can't, countries can't, just couldn't keep up with that.
0: You can't fathom that. I mean, that's, that's yes. the thing that's crazy is that he basically said when the government came to Henry Ford, they're like, all right, uh, you you figured out how to revolutionize the auto industry. Like, we need these bombers. And he took 975 acres of his own farmland that he owned in Michigan. And constructed the, the Willow Run, Run, which was called as you mentioned. But this was at the time the largest war factory in the world, and actually in world history, there was a a adjoining airfield right to it. That was that was. (laughs) This is another thing. Talk about PR. He hires Charles Lindbergh to be his test pilot. Right. Which is nuts. But the way if you guys ever look up Willow Run, this humongous factory, they would literally start from little parts. And at the very end, a full blown B-24 Liberator U.S. bomber would pull out of this hangar and it would pull right onto the adjacent um, airfield and just fly off to whatever it needed to go to base wise. Like that was and just ready to go.
1: Yeah, this just ready to go. Think about exactly. uh, building a bomber in an hour. Like, that's crazy I can't, I can't, when you can't. think about it.
0: But, I just can't. Again, hey, Henry laugh, Ford. That's yeah. Henry Ford. But yeah, so um, basically, I mean, the, you know what's also interesting kind of – I looked at – I don't, know, it came to me right now. When I was doing research for like World War II books and stuff, it was the fact that you couldn't buy a new – you couldn't buy a 1943 Dodge. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, in 1945, you started seeing ads again in newspapers like – for the first time ever, you know, like 1945 Dodge or Chevy or Ford, because they ceased production of vehicles. So, and then the the cars that came out the year after the war ended in 45 were basically 1941 models. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, go back like, to drawing board, recreate. Yeah, they, they 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 to see really what, what the Americans were looking for at that point. You know, like what was going to be the new styles and stuff like that.
0: And then things kind of like fall apart after World War II for American auto industry. It, there was some really based on what I saw, it's like Americans started looking at like non functional yeah. styling at the expense of economy and safety. You know, it was like if it looks good and it feels comfortable, like it doesn't matter that it gets like three miles per gallon. And then you start getting these big American like boat cruisers,
1: these big, yeah, these boat cruisers. But then that starts to shift right with um, the 1960s, yes, a little bit. There's a little bit more, um. Things started to shift towards that. Honestly, that's why in the fifties had those like yeah, three miles to the gallon, like yeah, you know, super, you know, just oh, sucking up huge. all the comfortable, um, comfortable, gasoline comfortable. type of stuff. Well, that's what happened too. Yeah, the nineteen sixties had more um, federal like environmental standards and stuff like yeah. that. Safety issues also became more of a public concern. Um, the introduction of the catalytic converter, as federal regulations became um, increasingly utilized, and stuff like that. And then by the nineteen seventies, there was a lot of other issues. They had um, foreign imports become increasingly more common from german volkswagen japanese yep. toyota um different alternative styles to the americans right uh car styles that cut into the market and then really the, the big thing i guess you would say would really be the 1973 oil crisis yeah was looked at as being a catalyst event in the history of american um cars because when that happened you know these gas guzzling cars because the price of gas was so expensive, which it's kind of, it's going up now too. I'm sure people have noticed now Oh, this too, is insane. It's going up constantly. Um, that's why you see more and more people, I guess, going out buying hybrids and you're not getting those giant cars as much anymore just because the big three were struggling to adapt to this, you know, and you had to basically downsize. And it was hard. It was hard to do.
0: Yeah. It was yeah, built out the, in 1979
1: from the government. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, first all thing was 73, then 79, as you said. Yeah, I mean, you could see pictures of this, and I'm sure some of our listeners remember the waiting online for, for gasoline. Um, There's a couple of things you mentioned here that are interesting. Well, obviously, the 1960s, you have the standards for automotive safety with, with safety. Uh, then there was 65 um, emission pollutants laws, uh, energy consumption laws of 75. But the thing that you brought up that was cool is that, you know, there's this... U.S. is being kind of infiltrated by foreign cars. And the German Volkswagen Bug, uh, the Beetle, was basically historically viewed as the modern Model T. I mean, that thing was everywhere. It was an affordable, and I mean, it really was. It was kind of initiated by Adolf Hitler and Volkswagen, meaning Volks people, Wagen car. But um, when you look at the 70s, everyone could afford a Bug. Like, that was Model T of its time. And it wasn't American, which is why it really hurt american um automobile you know industry which which again i thought that was kind of sad in a sense um anyway what else do i have here that i thought was kind of interesting um bah, 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 bah. you got anything what are we
1: looking what are we well what are we looking at they basically have the um, well, let's japanese. I think, group.
0: I th- I th- yeah I, th- I think we should talk about i mean i was going to get into like japanese takeover
1: yeah, the, basically these, the dominance grew. The Japanese cars became more popular. Um, it forced companies to basically being forced to limit the number of exports that they were able to produce, yeah. uh, take advantage of the exporting the luxury cars to the U.S. There was increasing increasing profit margins. By the end of the 80s, basically, the um, there was a brief renaissance American car industry because the oil prices went down. But all the big three, particularly GM, adapted well to the new uh, technological inv- innovations, innovations yeah. at the time. Yeah like um, fuel injection, disc brakes, you know, stuff like that. But also the big three started to invest in foreign car companies. Yeah. As um, I mean, they try to limit, the, limit the competition. And, but again, it's just more and more coming in, more and more coming in. And then um, a lot of the, in about the 90s, Honda, Toyota, Volkswagen, BMW, they all opened manufacturing plants, you know, in, in the United States. And that really started showing the decline of the big three yeah. over time because of this. This is basically competition. It was they cornered the market for so long They had five five percent of the market. And then just with there was more options started opening up, you're not gonna you're not gonna have that well, control as much anymore. It's just there's just more options now, again. You know? And the
0: options what's important because of the 70s and an oil embargo and crisis, I mean, the cars from Japan uh were basically smaller and more more fuel efficient, less polluting, much safer. You name it. Like it's almost as if you feel like I don't want to say that, but at the same time, if you look at older Restrictions, political restrictions that are happening in the seventies on automakers. Like you need to make your car safer. You need to, the pollution has to be better. Fuel efficiency has to be better. Uh, and this is all coming from through legislation. Um, and the American car companies are really kind of slow to adapt to that. While yeah, they just, did, just didn't, this didn't. Already catch had up. It. Yeah. Yeah. And they had it boom.
1: They met those regulations and then it, they, uh, the American companies are just kind of slow to, slow to adapt. And that's what basically happens. And then obviously they're already on a major decline and then the 2008 recession, just that, that was it. That just was a devastating blow to so those industries. Ford um, emerged pretty much okay, right? Chrysler yeah. and GM were, were devastated. They all requested financial aid from the government. They got bailouts from President Bush. If you, I'm sure, I remember that Chrysler yeah. declared bankruptcy, right? They eventually partner up with uh, that's one of the part, yeah, was well, Fiat, right? Fiat, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. But overall, I think kind of to to you know cap this off this this brief history of American automobile. Um, I mean. There's no question about it. Automobile completely changed the United States, right? Obviously, Yeah, because most
1: people still drive cars to work. In the United States, of course.
0: Yep. All um,
1: the countries that's you know they do the they take mass transit, but the United States is still predominantly you you drive. Just look how many of your students drive to school. Yep. You know, like you think of that many teenagers. Teenagers get a car. You know, and they're driving around.
0: Besides the fact that we're talking about petroleum industry and just gas industry, um, it also was the chief consumer in the 1920s when it, cars really became big in the United States. It was the chief consumer of petroleum, but also of steel. Steel industry really kind of was helped out by the car industry. Um, it was also biggest consumer in many other industries. Like technologies like um, you know steel, petroleum, but at the same time, rubber. You need glass for um, – you need leather for inside. I mean th- these are all different um, – products that now needed to be produced because of the car also it completely stimulated american participation in outdoor recreation um so tourism actually grows uh service stations mentioned before right this is like hotels route route
1: 66 all those stuff you know like it just creates a whole other part of american culture with the car
0: and also i was able to read up it said that the automobile basically ended rural isolation um it was brought like urban amenities were brought to like very rural areas so Better medical care, better schools. You know, usually, if anything, if you lived on a farm in the United States, which primarily was agriculture in the 1920s and 30s, um, you know, like you had a tractor. That was pretty much it. And, and now this brings the doctors in. This allows you to travel, go to a modern cities that surrounds your area, and, and kind of, you know, ended that isolation. Um, also changed the architecture of just an American home. I mean, think about it: homes with garages. I mean which I don't understand. I had a house. Uh, my first house was built in 1956. And you look at 1950s cars and they're huge. And my garage like barely fit like my 2000 something car. And I thought to myself, like, how did this fit a 1956 Chevy? But then I realized like, now we put so much stuff in our garage. I think back then they just put a car in there. Yeah. So it was, it was for your a car. car. Yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, homes change. Like today you, Look at a house, you buy a house, you'd look for the garage. That wasn't a thing before 1920s. Um, that completely changed. In 1980, which is when United States automakers were overtake, pretty much the Japanese overtook them, um, 87.2% of American households owned one or more um, motor vehicle. 51% owned more than one. And they said that fully 95% of domestic car sales in 1980 were for a car replacement, not for a new car. It was just like, Hey, it's something new came out. So yeah, it is what it is. That is what it is. Anyway, I thought this was a, see, we did it. I, I find this interesting. I mean, we drive cars all the time. I, that's why I was like, you know, what's the yeah, history. The, the history yeah. I
1: mean, everyone, everyone probably listening has, was definitely in a car probably sometimes. <laughs> sometime or sometime they're
0: listening <laughs> in a car while they're driving. It could be, you know. could be, yeah, could be, could be. So now it's you know, RC, uh, eyes on the road. Eyes on the road. That's right. Don't No clicking buttons. Anyway, so to everyone out there, thank you so much for tuning in once more to our podcast. We really greatly appreciate it. Um, wherever you are listening to this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review. They are greatly appreciated. And uh, if you need to contact us, just, um, you know, you could find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com, which I just retooled that website and it looks a little better. I I would very fancy, very fancy, pat myself on the back a little bit, but anyway, thank you so much, guys. And I hope everyone has a great week. We'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, everybody. hope everyone enjoyed our podcast and if you would like to email us you can do so at history at gmail.com history is the greatest adventure story but does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time